Welcome to our latest webinar for corporates. In this series, we'll be examining recent events and looking ahead at what might be in store for financial markets and the economy. Thank you very much, and welcome everybody this morning. Welcome back, Piers. It's been a long time, or it feels like a long time since you've been presenting with us, so we're really glad to have you back, and I'm sure I will be the, um, uh, the subject of some of your quips uh, when you present a little bit later on. Um, I've got a relatively short space of time to cram in the presentation this morning, so I'm going to kick things off straight away. And um, we'll look at, the, firstly, the content slide, which just will talk about the recovery. Um, we'll also look at some of the potential issues around the recovery for certain economies uh, before we look at, at other events and other factors that may be having an influence on FX markets before we then turn our attention to the FX forecast, which have changed a little bit since the last time that we presented. So moving on to the first slide and looking at UK and European growth rates. Now, the chart to the left-hand side is a chart of UK retail sales. And what we saw with the April retail sales figures was that they were considerably higher than expected. Um, so growth was over 9% month on month as the UK moved into the third phase of its unlocking um, with the, the, the reopening of non-essential retail uh, and in-store retail. Um, and what we've seen in, in terms of overall growth for uh, retail is that tracking it back to um, not last year, but the year before last, we're seeing sales around about 10% higher than they were for the same period a year ago. Um, so a material improvement in terms of the retail environment and signs that, um, as the Bank of England chief economist has said this morning, the UK economy's recovery is going gangbusters. Um, the same thing can be said of the European indicators as well. We've seen a lot of strength in European data and in industrial production in PMIs um, and in some elements of consumption expenditure spending. Um, so there are signs that Europe uh, as well is recovering. Um, but clearly, alongside those recovery signs, there's some flashing amber signals with regard to inflation and a pickup in inflation that we've seen, which is both supply side driven. Um, as well as demand pull driven. Um, it's more supply side, it's more problems with the supply chain than it is demand pull. But there are definitely signals for things like the housing market, as an example, um, that there is simply not enough supply for the demand in the market. Um, the one element that I think is, is um, confusing is the employment markets, because in the UK and Europe, we're seeing an improvement in employment markets. And certainly the likelihood is that unemployment will peak at lower levels than was previously anticipated. In the US, however, um, we've seen the pace of progress slowing. Um, and if we move on to the next slide, uh, we can uh, see some of uh, some of that in evidence. Now, it's a difficult chart to, to really uh, look at here. But if you were to zoom in on the last couple of months, then you would have seen that the payrolls numbers have missed where they were expected to be for the last two months. So in the previous month, back in uh, the month of April, uh, we were expecting to see a return in terms of jobs growth of around about a million extra jobs. And it actually came in at around about a quarter of that. For this time, it was expected to be around 660,000 jobs uh, growth. But instead, what we saw was around 560,000 jobs created. So overall, you're seeing quite considerable misses. Now, these are still robust figures, 
but they do suggest that the pace of improvement is slowing down. And it's not because there aren't the jobs being created. Um, it's that I don't think it's the right type of jobs that are being created in order to grow employment more quickly than um, it has been doing. Now, the strength um, in European indicators has, has been uh, evident uh, as far as, as I mentioned, in terms of employment. But again, there does seem, and this is particularly in the UK data, some lasting scarring on the UK economy, a lower level of participation in labour markets, even as people are coming off a of furlough. Um, so the question is whether we're going to have seen uh, the jobs market uh, uh, operating at a lower level of labour force participation post-pandemic than we saw at pre-pandemic. If that's the case, um, then for the UK and uh, for, uh, for for other economies, that again might lead to an additional inflationary threat. But for the US in particular, what these employment numbers might be adding additional pressure to is the, the, the negative dollar sentiment. And that's certainly a core theme that we've seen as far as the FX markets are concerned over recent months. There was a period where we started to see the dollar fighting back, but it didn't make a significant enough headway. And as a consequence, it ceded um, any of those gains back to the UK uh, pound and to the euro over the course of recent weeks and months. Um, so if we now look at some other things that might be having an effect on currency markets. And moving on to the next slide, um, we can look at risk appetite. Now, when you look at the chart, what this suggests is that the the growth that we've seen in uh, in the Dow Jones has been broadly speaking matched by the growth that we've seen in things like the the DAX. In fact, the DAX, to a certain extent, is slightly outperforming in terms of where it is. Um, versus its previous peaks on a percentage basis. But you're seeing a lag in terms of what's happening on the FTSE 100 and on the CAC 40. So you're not seeing that uniform risk appetite restrengthening that would necessarily lead to support for sterling or indeed the euro versus the, the, the US dollar. Now, it's worthwhile mentioning that the, the Dow Jones's performance alongside the performance of the FTSE 100 may be being um, somewhat clouded and somewhat uh, worsened by the fact that they, they have a number of tech stocks within them. And consequently, because of poor performance in technology stocks recently, as investors have reconsidered the prospects for further gains, at least in the short term, that might be what's leading to some underperformance. But the FTSE in itself has been the worst performing of these four equity indices in terms of it hasn't been able to get to its um, its pre-crisis peaks. Um, so consequently, I do think that that, that underperformance um, may be one of the reasons why we haven't seen sterling hitting new highs against the likes of the euro or indeed the US dollar. Um, arguably, it may offer an opportunity for further strength in sterling to come in the, in the weeks and months. And if, as the Bank of England's chief economist uh, uh, has suggested, the UK economy is going gangbusters and as further support to the uh, the UK pound may come through a need to change UK monetary policy more quickly than has been previously expected.
Moving on to the next slide, this is just some of the risks that I, I wanted to highlight with regard to economic reopening. Um, so first and foremost, I've already mentioned it a couple of times, inflation. Will the reopening of the global economy, particularly the Western developed economies, uh, continue to prompt persistent supply shortages? Will demand continue to recover faster than the supply chain can also recover? So is that demand supply imbalance likely to be in situ for not just a further few months, but for the medium to longer term? What if the um, uh, COVID infection rates start to rise, will that um, lead to an increase in hospitalizations, in deaths, um, and in case numbers? And what will governments do if they see those numbers rising? Will that then lead to a reversal of some of the freedoms that are expected to uh, be reopened over the course of the coming months? Um, there's also sectoral imbalances, and that is undoubted. Um, we've seen some sectors performing extremely strongly, particularly, again, looking at the performance of retail. But then you look at other areas of services activity and some of those where the economy hasn't reopened or there's a very limited reopening. Um, I think those sectoral imbalances will continue to be a feature of an ongoing need for support from government, which leads me on to the, the next point, which is, are we going to have to live with higher borrowing for the foreseeable future? And what will that mean for yields, not just in the UK, but in Europe um, and in the US? And then finally, the last two, what's going to happen with trade flows? We heard an awful lot at the very outset of COVID that this might lead to a reshoring or a nearshoring of production chains so that you've got greater control um, and uh, an easier uh, supply flow of uh, significantly important goods. Um, so will uh, COVID and the post-COVID reaction lead to a change in the way in which countries trade and who they trade with? And finally, in terms of foreign exchange markets, if there are um, threats of renewed closures, are they likely to prompt a shift away from some currencies and towards others? Um, so that, that those are some of the key areas to focus on. Which leads me on to my final slide, which is um, the FX forecast table. Now, this has changed a little bit since the last time I spoke to you. So We've revised up our forecast a little bit for sterling dollar over the next few quarters, expecting sterling dollars to remain high. That still, to me, feels more like a dollar negative story rather than a sterling positive story. And the reason I can say that relatively confidently is that we haven't materially changed our, our thoughts on sterling euro. It does hold at current levels for a little bit longer, but it, it doesn't move to, to fresh highs in our opinion, or even if it does move to fresh highs, uh, I think that it won't stay at those levels for very long. And euro dollar is likely to be the, the beneficiary, the major beneficiary of any ongoing dollar weakness. So just watch out for that in terms of where euro dollar heads over the coming weeks and months, because I think it could be heading higher. There are other question marks uh, to ask, which is that if there is a change in monetary policy that comes sooner, who will be the first of the major central banks to adopt that change? We've seen, for example, the Bank of Canada tapering their asset purchase program um, marginally. Um, there's been talk about what the European Central Bank will do on Thursday. We think that they'll stick with their asset purchase program at current levels, current weekly purchase levels um, throughout the summer. But when they come to alter that policy, 
will they then have to reduce the level of asset purchases, not back to where they were prior to the acceleration of asset purchases, but to a, to a level lower than where we were? Um, and so will that be the, uh, the, the next card to fall in terms of a reduction in asset purchases, or will it be the Fed? Will the Fed who are faced with a, a stronger set of inflation conditions than they were perhaps anticipating um, and signs of ongoing strength in the US economy be forced into a change earlier as far as monetary policy is concerned and what will that mean for the US dollar. A couple of other things. Uh, in the last um, uh, call, I mentioned about the Canadian dollar strength. We think that that Canadian dollar strength may well persist now because of the change in monetary policy that's been seen uh, and also in spite of the fact that Canada is some way behind as far as their vaccination program is concerned their economy does seem to be recovering very strongly so plenty to digest within that that um, very brief uh, and very swift walk through all of the um, uh, the fundamentals on this and I'm now going to very happily hand you over to Piers Leslie. There's my disclaimer just saying that I don't offer advice. Uh, but I'm very happily going to hand you over to Piers Leslie, who's going to walk you through the technical analysis. Piers, welcome back. Great to see you. Smart as ever. Thank you very much, Neil. It's good to be here. It's good to be anywhere, as they say. So I'm going to, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Piers. I look at the markets in a slightly different way to Neil. Neil looks at them from the fundamental side. So what do I do? I filter out all the noise and I simply look at the price action. That's all I'm interested in. What is the price action? Everything's in the price. And don't be fooled that it's not in the price. If the price is wrong, it will correct really, really quickly. And we've seen that over the last few weeks in a few markets, markets moving very quickly. And by looking at the price, you can see a few things. You can see, first of all, who is in control of the market, the buyers or the sellers. Never forget, that's all it is, a battle between the buyers and the sellers as to who's in control of the market. Um, we're trying to see, are there any trends? And when we look, are there any trends? You're trying to see, you've all heard the expression, the trend is your friend. But what you don't want to get caught is the whole expression is the trend is your friend until you get caught at the end. And so what we're also going to look at, where are the next targets, support and resistance? So we're going to see where the market should base and where it should cap. So it's not so much the forecast, more the rate per target, where the rate per target on the upside and downside. So I think just to put it easily, I mean, I don't, Neil and I get on very well, but I'm not really interested with what Neil says, unless he's at the bar and says, would you like a drink? Then I get very interested. And it's a bit like a, a dating website. Some people like to read the whole description and profile on someone. I simply like to look at the picture. You know, I think it tells you a lot straight away. So if we go to the next slide, we're going to see how we're going to look at, at these markets. What are we going to look at? So we're going to use candlestick charts. So there's going to be two different colours, red and green. Red is where it opens the session at the top of the square box and closes at the bottom. Now, it doesn't matter if it's daily, weekly, monthly. It's just the session, whatever the session time period we look at. The spikes are the high and the low, and the green is the opposite. It's where it's positive, and it opens at the bottom of the square and closes at the top of the box. So if we go to the next slide, we're going to now look at the dollar index. So 
the dollar is very important as an overall, everything's traded against the dollar to start with. So what have we got on this chart? This is the price action since 2014. And you can see actually since 2014, we went up, we came back down in 2017, went back up and stopped at the same level slightly before it. But there's this strange purple thing in the middle, which is an Ichimoku cloud. It's basically a historical lagging moving average. So what the long-term people look at is, are you above the cloud or below the cloud? And you can see here, you are below the cloud. So prices move below the cloud. And also there's that black line coming across. Now that's called the lagging line and price, uh, the lagging line is now below the, uh, the cloud as well as price. So that tells you that the dollar is now long-term negative. So from a monthly point of view, you should look for moves lower. But we are quite near support areas here at that 88.90 area. So maybe a bit more of a move down towards 88.90 and a bit of a rally. But as well, that rally doesn't get over 38.2, which is 94, then the dollar continues in downtrend. And I'd still continue to be worried about any dollar strength you see. I think it will be short-lived. So if we look at the next slide now, we'll look at how does that transfer into the FX markets. So let's look at euro dollar. It's the heaviest traded currency, so it's always important. It's going to pull around the euro and it's going to pull around the dollar. Now, I know a lot of you look at euros and a lot of you want to buy dollars. So it's important to know what is euro dollar doing. So euro dollar, here we can see the move of 2020, the rally going up. But when the market came back down, it stopped in that red circle, 38.2. So the uptrend from a Fibonacci retracement point of view is, in, is intact. And while that support at 116.95 holds, you should still look for euro dollar to go higher. It might not be a straight line higher because it has this 23 and a half area, the previous highs to get over before it gets that sort of speed up going higher. But while you're above 16.95 from a long term, it's looking positive. And if we look at the next slide now, we can put a different study on, which is Fibonacci extension swing. And here we take the move and we extend it from where it goes down to. So you'll see the actual bounce points was 117.04. You can see 121.08 was the first extension swing. Now that's acted as support this month when it's gone down to it. So that's your support, 121.08. Where's the 38.2 at 123.58? So you really want to clear the 123.60 area on a daily, monthly close to start thinking about euro dollar going up into the 125 area. At the moment, you're in a sort of 121, 123 and a half trading range, I feel. So if we move to the next slide, we're going to look at sterling index. Now, sterling index gives you so many clues. If you trade sterling dollar, sterling euro, you need to be looking at this chart. In fact, if you get my daily charts earlier on in the year, I sent out the sterling index and the sterling index gave to the day where sterling dollar and sterling euro turned round. And what was it? It hit the 38.2. So if we look at this move from 2015 down to 2016, that's the collapse of sterling over those couple of years. Then the markets rallied back up. Now, we in all those red circles, it's the 38.2% of that retracement. And it's held every time, apart from one month, 
where it burst through in the third red circle. But that was invalidated by the quarterly chart, which closed at the same time. And I, I believe we're doing the quarterly charts next month. So if you see next month, we'll explain why that didn't lead to a follow through higher. So if we look at this last red circle, 64.8778 for the last one, two, three, four, five months, that's capped sterling. So that makes sterling dollar fall back down. That makes sterling euro fall back down, euro sterling go back up. You need to break that level if you want to see a strengthening of sterling. While you're below it, risk is down a bit, but it keeps hitting at it. So if you break above it, where could you go? Maybe to the top of that channel. Now, sterling needs to break to the top side and get to the top of that channel very soon. Otherwise, it runs the risk of fatigue. If it doesn't get to the top of that channel, that would be a negative sign for sterling. So we need to see a break of that 38.2 if you're expecting sterling strength to continue. If we go to the next slide now, here's sterling dollar. So this is looking at the monthly chart. On this monthly chart, I've got, like euro dollar, the Ichimoku cloud going. And while I put the Ichimoku cloud on, because it's very interesting, if you look in all these black circles that I've got going across from sort of 2019 and including 2015, when it first broke through the cloud 2015 in the first circle, the cloud acted as resistance, pushed sterling dollar down. Then in 2018, 2019 and 2020, Every time it hit the Ichimoku cloud, the long-term sellers sold it. It's a good selling point for them. They know you're back at the cloud, sell. Now, it's quite interesting because we broke earlier this year through the bottom of the cloud and we moved to the top of the cloud, which is the last black circle. But look, for those three months, it was held by the top of the Ichimoku cloud. And finally, last month, sterling dollar broke through the price action and closed above the cloud. So that's a positive sign, but it hasn't quite got that confirmation. You know, it's, it's deciding, are we sliding left or are we sliding right? Do we want to carry on with this relationship or is it over? And what's going to tell you if it's confirming this relationship of buying sterling dollar is that lagging line. That is not above the cloud yet. We saw it was below the cloud on the dollar index but it's not above the cloud here. So maybe sterling dollar hasn't quite got that signal to explode higher yet. And it might find some trouble as it gets towards the 142 and a half area. So above 142 and a half, 143, that's going to be the stalling part point for sterling dollar. You need to get above there on a nice monthly, quarterly close to extend higher and check the lagging lines with you. The other thing to say on this chart is I've just done the retracements of the rally up since last year. Look how far back you can fall and still find you're in the uptrend. You can go back to 135.70 and still find you're sort of coming to the top of the cloud. The first retracement should be support. In fact, you can go all the way to 131 and a half and still be in the uptrend. So sterling dollar is looking good from a long term point of view, even if you get moves lower. Now, next month on the quarterly one, we'll give some targets to the upside. And if you break through that 42 and a half, because there's some very interesting targets, which might seem a long way away now. But on the quarterly chart, you'll see they could come very, very live soon. So the last chart on the next slide 
is euro sterling. Now, euro sterling, how can I sum up euro sterling? Probably very boring. You know, for the last five, six years now, well, actually five years, it's just been in a sideways range. And if you look at the first retracement, the 23.6 and 38.2, it's been held between, it's traded around those retracements for the last five years. Nothing has excited the market. You know, there's been a lot of talk about Brexit, COVID lockdowns, record debt, things like that. But if you just watch those two levels, the 23.6, the 38.2, and also the top one, and just traded around those, you'd have done superbly on it. And you didn't have to read any of the articles, listen to anything, get bored of Brexit, et cetera, et cetera. So where does this really change? It's like sterling index. You need to do a little bit more. If you're going to be a strengthening of euro sterling, you need to get a sort of monthly close below 84. Then you start to see, I think, some serious strengthening of sterling. If you see sterling, uh, euro sterling back above 87 and a half on a monthly close, then maybe it's just lost its shine. It's going to move back into that top band. But uh, it's still that simple. It's been that simple for the last five years. Just watch those. If you're thinking too much about euro sterling, reading too much, maybe you're overcomplicating things. But that's the way I look at it. So on the next slide, you'll see that I'm just at the end. So I hope you've enjoyed these slides. And next month, we'll look at the quarterly slides where we can give some longer term directional signals. But I, I hope you've enjoyed that today. Thanks very much for listening to the webinar. We hope you found it informative. The next in the series will be available shortly.